Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, August 11th, 2023. I'm Mike Achapoli. All right, we've made it to the end of another week. I say another work week, but, you know, that's really not the case anymore, all right? No one's working on Friday. I know that for a fact. No one's working at an office on Fridays. People may or may not be working from home, but they're certainly not working at an office on Fridays because my gym, which is downtown in the financial district here in San Francisco, is absolutely empty on Fridays. Not so, not, not so Monday to Thursday, but on Fridays, it's a very empty. So I know people are not working on Fridays. They're just not. People aren't even, you know, downtown isn't even as crowded on Friday as it is during the uh, the rest of the week. So it used to be the work week was Monday to Friday, but now it's maybe Monday to Thursday. Who knows? Maybe people take Monday off too, right? Maybe Maybe just Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're going into work now. So it's not the traditional work week anymore. That's for sure. Will it ever come back? Who knows? There's a story I'll talk about here in a few minutes about how San Francisco, my city, my great city of San Francisco, has the worst pandemic recovery. And this this is the same story that's been written for a long time now, right? Over the last year, year and a half, two years, that other cities are coming back better than San Francisco for a variety of reasons. I've gone through a few of them. We'll talk about them again. But uh, the city certainly is uh, not making the recovery that so many of the cities are making. Um, and if it was up to like, you know, like the, the health directors of cities like San Francisco or Los Angeles, their cities would never come back. You know, it's like you take two steps back ahead and one step back, you know, and so on and so forth, because Another thing I'll cover in this show is how the mask Nazis are coming back. They're starting to rear their ugly heads again. It's like groundhogs. Is it groundhogs? What is the, yeah, groundhogs, right? Where they're like uh, burrowed in the ground and they pop their heads up. They pop their heads up. And it's like that game of pop-ups. You know, they, those little things pop up and you have to hit them with the hammers and stuff. Well, these these mass Nazis, these Covidians, they're like, they 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 pop their head up to look and see if it's safe to go back again, and if it's safe to go back again, meaning for them to push their bullshit again, they do it. They just they just like like little weasels. Is it a weasel? Maybe maybe it's not a groundhog. Maybe it's a weasel. They they pop their head up to see if it's safe, and is it is a landscape safe? Are there enough stories out there about people catching colds again where they can come out and rear their ugly heads? Well, they're starting to do it again. And we'll talk about that as well. You hear the fire engines going back and going through in police cars. Everything's burning down. Things are being looted here. So excuse the the background. Ambiance. Ambiance. Oh, boy. Have you ever watched that show? As the engines, they don't stop. They won't stop. They'll keep going. They'll keep going. Do you think there are no cars in the streets anymore here, especially at night? Um, do, is it necessary for like ambulances and fire trucks and police to do that stuff at night? I could see doing it in a real city in the middle of the day. You got to get around cars, but it always amazed me. And my friend in New York talks about this all the time. 
even in New York at two, three, four in the morning, there are no cars in the street. So why do they have to blast that shit? Why can't they just drive through the streets? I don't get it. Uh, have you ever watched that um, Dateline show on NBC? That show is like fucking, it's, it's, like, it's like an addictive drug. If you start watching it, I actually have to, if it's on and I don't have the time to watch it, I have to shut it off. Because if I start looking at, like, the, if I start looking at that show for like more than twenty seconds, I can't stop watching. It's so well edited and put together, right? The, 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 just the the buildup of drama and tension through the hour is incredible. And that guy with that voice, Jenny knew it was coming. It was it was it was more than just a case of self defense and then they go to a break and you can't stop watching and then it comes back and he's a, it's just amazing how they put that show together really well done there's so much shit tv especially on uh, the networks that's a good one though i think that's why it's been around for a long time right i mean it's been around for like decades dateline dateline nbc sam knew it was just a matter of time Maybe I can do voiceover work for them. All right. Um, there'll be a review of a film at the end of the show. Uh, I think I previewed it yesterday. You like car racing? Anyone out there like car racing? Hello? Anybody there? Hello? If you like car racing, this is it. This is your movie. Or if you don't like car racing, it could be your movie. Or maybe it won't be. I can't give away whether I'm giving it a positive or negative review, so I shouldn't say. But if you like car racing, you're probably going to like any movie about car racing. Well, maybe not. Maybe because you'll be – if you're really into this subject and you know about it, you might find inconsistencies that the rest of us don't. I don't know much about the car racing at all. I don't – I never understood the whole thing. I watch it sometimes, and I see these cars going around and around and around, and, around, and, I'm, and I'm wondering – how do you even keep track of who's who? And like, I never understood it. It's like, okay, you can pass, can, but you can you can make people crash. That's okay. Is it not okay? Are you allowed to bump into people? Are you not allowed to bump into people? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. And then it's like, when they stop for gas, do they lose their place? Do you go behind? I, I never understood the whole thing. To me, it just looks like it's mesmerizing cars going around and around and around but they show up these people i mean these stadiums hold you know 50 60 70 thousand people these are huge things these car races they are and uh especially in certain parts of the country they love auto racing they do i understand maybe it's like a an adrenaline thing who knows right but we'll talk more about the movie uh, i'm going to review later um what do i want to start there's so many places to start. You know, I think I have to start with this story. Now, I talked a little bit about this, about um, Trump doing these crazy tweets, like, you know, if you come after me, I'm coming after you. You know, kind of cryptic, but not really. What does that mean? And, of course, he, he puts it out directly after indictments. So one would put one and one and two together. And, you know, this is almost like um, mob boss, right? And, you know, and the Trump cabal will say, well, what is that? That doesn't prove anything. What? I'm coming after me. I'm coming after you. What does that mean? Well, that's the way a mob boss talks, too, right? So you don't see a mob boss when they talk on, the, you know, you know, when the FBI, you know, they put the wiretap on the mob boss. We see it in movies over and over again, right? And they're talking and they talk in code, right? 
because they know people are listening. So they talk in code. They don't say things like, yeah, we're going to whack this guy tomorrow. Tomorrow, go to this location and put two bullets. In. They don't say that, right? They say things like, you know, the thing you got to do, that thing we got to do. Yeah, well, it's happening tomorrow. That's right. You know, okay, I'll say it there. We'll get a we'll get a red wine, red, really red, red, red wine after. So that's the way they talk. So Trump is like a mob boss. He's not going to say I'm going to I'm I'm going to intimidate a jury. I'm going to make sure anyone who's on the jury is intimidated by my by Rudy Giuliani and my henchmen. So he says things like if you come after me, I'm coming after you. And Jack Smith brought it to a judge. Because it's a threat, right? It's threatening. It threatens a possible jury pool, right? It's threatening possible jurors, right? Um, it's it's it could be threatening to the DA, right? It could be threatening to Jack Smith. If you come after me, I'm coming after you. You're indicting me. I'm going to make sure you pay for it. So the judge, <laughs> the judge finally told Trump to shut the fuck up. I mean, this has been going on for a while now with Trump, right? Where he like talks about a case and they talk about silencing him and putting the gag order on him and they never do. So finally, the job, judge overlooking the uh, the January 6th case issued a protective order against Trump. Um, she cautioned Trump against making inflammatory statements about the case and said his First Amendment rights are not absolute. Um, as someone had said earlier, a couple of days ago on Twitter, you know, Tony Soprano telling one of his henchmen to go whack somebody, you know, is not free speech, not covered by free speech. Judge Tanya Chutkin heard arguments uh, earlier yesterday on the terms of protective order that Smith was walking to order prevent the improper dissemination or use of discovery materials his team's preparing to turn over to Trump's attorneys uh, to them to prepare Trump's defense. Trump himself was not present at the hearing. The judge's ruling issued following the hearing prohibits the disclosure of a range of sensitive materials, including all recordings, transcripts, interview reports, and related exhibits shared by the special counsel. Smith requested the protective order last Friday after Trump posted a message to his social media platform, Truth Social, saying, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. Mr. Trump, like any American, has a right to free speech, Chutkin told attorneys, but that right's not absolute. The Trump campaign said Trump's message was aimed at political interest groups. Yeah. Uh, Chutkin, as he was wrapping up the hearing, cautioned Trump over public statements he has made related to the case, suggesting that his words could backfire by moving the case to trial even faster. I intend to ensure the orderly administration of justice in this case, as I will with any other case, Chutkin said. The more a party makes inflammatory statements about this case, which could taint the jury pool or intimidate potential witnesses, the greater the urgency will be that we proceed to trial to ensure a jury pool from which we can select an impartial jury. So she's saying, the more you blab, the quicker this trial is going to be the quicker you'll be, you know, convicted before the voting starts, basically. Trump earlier this month pleaded not guilty to charges of undertaking a criminal scheme to overturn the results of the 2020 election by installing a slate of so-called fake electors, using the Justice Department to conduct 
sham election crime investigations, trying to enlist the VP to alter the election results, and promoting false claims of a stolen election as the January 6th riot raged, all in an effort to subvert democracy and remain in power. The former president has denied all wrongdoing and denounced the charges as a persecution of a political opponent. On the question of how wide-ranging the protective order should be, Trump's attorneys proposed it be more limited in scope and also want to be able to share discovery materials with so-called volunteer lawyers and other non-attorneys that are assisting in the case. Prosecutors have sought to protect a wider range of materials so the government's aim is to prevent any materials that are handed over in discovery from being used to taint an eventual jury. They have identified what they intend to do with it, Special Counsel Attorney Tom Windham said of Trump and his team. Even if it's nonsense material, it still has the potential to intimidate witnesses. Chutkin ruled that Trump would be restricted from discussing publicly materials, from discussing public public materials deemed insensitive, deemed sensitive, which would include all recordings, transcripts, interview reports, and related exhibits shared by the special counsel. The judge said she believed the release of materials created too great a risk that witnesses could be intimidated by the jury or the jury pool would be tainted. Well, The judge said the existence of a political campaign will not have any bearing on my decisions. He's a criminal defendant. He's going to have restrictions like every other single defendant, said the judge. On the portion of the protective order that relates to how Trump himself should be supervised when reviewing discovery materials shared by the government, Laurel said he had concerns about requiring an attorney to sit with Trump anytime he wants to read through evidence. But Wyndham countered that the government had ample reasons to request that. He has shown a tendency to hold on to material, which he should not have, Wyndham quipped in reference to charges Trump is facing regarding his alleged retention of classified documents. Wyndham said the government was concerned that if Trump was alone reviewing evidence, he could choose to take a picture of it with his phone or make some kind of photocopy that he would then release out. By the way, here's a listing Oh, hey, yeah, like live tweeting, Judge Chutkin asked. I mean, literally just photocopying or taking a picture of something in order to do whatever he wants, Wyndham answered. Chutkin ultimately ruled that she will allow Trump to review discovery materials without having a number, a member of his legal team sit with him. However, said she will order his lawyers to ensure that if Trump's reviewing materials alone, he must not have any kind of electronic device or phone that could be used to copy the materials. Wyndham said the government would begin sharing discovery materials once the protective order is in place, roughly 11.6 million pages or files, he said, adding the materials are extraordinarily well organized and the government expects to have discovery substantially completed by the end of the month. These are the possible penalties Trump faces if he's convicted in this January 6th case. Remember, this is one of just four cases he has against him. Count one, conspiracy to defraud the U.S., up to five years. Count two, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, up to 20 years. Count three, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, up to 20 years. And count four, conspiracy against rights, up to 10 years. So let's see, 20, 40, 50, up to 55 years total. 
even if he's only found guilty on count one, that's up to five. You know, do you think that they would file charges against a former president who's currently running for election again if they didn't have a really good case? You think they'd take that chance? You think they'd take that chance of swinging and missing in such a big game like that? Does anyone ever think about that? About how airtight this must be? And like I said, when I, I've only read the January 6th charges, and it's, uh, it seems pretty overwhelming to a novice like me. Um, but I can't imagine, unless things were airtight and they had tons of evidence, and they were quite certain of a of a uh, a successful prosecution that they'd go after someone like Donald Trump. Because if you swing and miss, you may never be able to go to bat again. You know what I'm saying? You may never be, get another chance at bat if you swing and miss at this one. So I think he's in deep shit. I think he's going to have to come to some kind of agreement. I think he's going to have to plea bargain. And this may never get, could possibly never get to trial, right? This could, I mean, they want this trial to be January 2nd, but it may not ever make it there. So the question is, once again, I'm not a legal person. They have all this evidence against him. There are 78 charges altogether with these cases. Uh, there are four counts with this one, with the January 6th case. I don't think Trump just saying he's not going to run anymore, that he's going to end his campaign. In a campaign that he'll probably lose anyway to DeSantis is going to be enough for them. Because I don't think they're doing this for that reason. Originally, I did think that. I have to say, originally, I thought all of this stuff was just to get Trump not to run again. But... Uh, it doesn't make any sense because they know he's not going to win a general election now. They've, this is, Already enough has happened. They've done enough where he's not going to win a general election. They know that because they want him to be the nominee for that reason. And plus, they think there's a probably good chance that DeSantis is going to beat him in the primary process. So why would they allow him to simply drop his campaign and then drop all the charges? So I don't think that's going to be enough. I don't I mean, maybe dropping the campaign is not even part of a plea bargain. If you look at all these charges and all these years that he's facing, what would they want from Donald Trump in order not to put him in jail? And what kind of plea bargain would you take? I mean, what what kind of a deal can there be? I mean, the guy is going to be 80 years old. So he takes a deal where he only goes to jail for five years. Is he going to want to do that? Is that, a, is that a deal that you would tell him to take? What's the difference? If you're 80, what's the difference at that point? If you're getting five years, eight years, or 15 years, you're going to die in jail. It's going to be hard to survive. So, or are you going to spend the last, you know, years of your life in jail regardless? It might, it's a different story if a guy is 30 years old. Yeah, then there's a big difference between five years and 15 years. If you're Donald Trump, I don't think that's a, a difference that you would consider in a kind of a plea bargain. So 
what is it? What would they, what kind of plea bargain? I think they want to see him go to jail. If they, they believe he's guilty of all these charges, I'm sure they think he should do jail time. I mean, so I'll, I'll drop my campaign and I'll admit I was wrong. Is that enough? I'm going to drop my campaign and I'm going to admit to the charges. Why would that be enough? Would that be enough for an average person? Of course not. An average person wouldn't have a campaign to drop. And if they pleaded guilty with all these charges, they're still going to jail. So I, I, I might be talking myself out of a possible plea bargain here. Because I don't know what the plea bargain could be. I don't know. Is the judge going to say, okay, I'll just give you a year in jail? Admitting to all these charges that have up to 55 years of jail time? Is, 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 is Jack Smith going to agree to that? Is Jack Smith going to agree to him doing probation for 10 years? It's hard to see. It's hard to see. I think, as you talk this out, common sense tells me there are two outcomes to this. You beat the charges or you go to jail. That's it. You're guilty and you go to jail. You're found not guilty and you don't. But from the charges that I've looked at, just with this one indictment, just a January 6th, forget about all the others. What is it, three, four? I'm losing track. But it's, it seems to me that if you look at the charges and the evidence and the, the amount of um, witnesses they're going to have to come out against him, and you put that together with a D.C. jury and judge, I don't see how he beats this to the point of where he doesn't get any jail time at all. Like I said, if he's convicted just on one of those four, it's up to five years. Someone, some doctor, some quote-unquote specialist, I don't know, someone said that he's under so much pressure, he may die. You know, he may die of natural causes because anxiety and stress. But I don't, I don't know, I don't know, you can count on that. I mean, Trump seems like the kind of guy who's just so self-assured, such a big ego, uh, that, you know, he just powers on, you know, through the attention he gets from this kind of thing. He feeds off that attention, positive and negative. He feeds off of the attention, right? He feeds off that cult, its crowds, that rallies that are ever dwindling. But, and also off the negative stuff, he feeds off that, right? So I, I don't know about that whole thing about that he's facing, he's feeling the kind of stress and anxiety that you or I would feel over something like this. I, I don't, I, I would probably guess he's not losing sleep. So, you know, I, I don't know about that, you know, him passing away from all the stress and anxiety. One would think that would have happened a long time ago, right? Trump is a stress and anxiety machine. So... Uh, I, I can't imagine. I think it fuels him. I think it actually keeps him going. I think he might die without it if you think he needs it in his life. I think the sociopath needs this kind of stuff in their life. So, look, I think the only real outcome here is he goes to jail. And that's the only actual outcome is that he's going to go to jail. Because this is like, looks like airtight 
lead pipe cinch guilty on this whole stuff. And he's going to have a, that DC jury to deal on all these things. And, and then New York jury and the New York stuff. And who knows about Florida, but at some point, I, I think he will drop his campaign. I don't think it'll necessarily be part of any kind of a plea bargain, but I think he'll just see that he can't win. And He's not going to get any donors. People don't believe he can win. The big Republican donors, everyone outside his cult, don't believe he can win. They know he can't. So they're not going to keep giving him money, knowing they're throwing money out the window, that they're just giving him money for his defense fund. I mean, that's why, let's face it, that's why Trump is really running. He knows he can't win again. He doesn't want to win again. But the money he gets, for some reason, no one's really explained this to me, he can use for his defense fund from his campaign. I still don't get it, but that seems to be the case. That's what keeps him running because he can keep on getting money from the uh, jackoffs who give him money. <laughs> you know, the, the cult uh, following who gives him, you know, five bucks here, 20 bucks here, a hundred bucks here, maybe a thousand bucks here and keeps him going with legal fees. So that's, what he wants. That's the whole thing. This is a big grift, right? To keep his defense fund going. So if you look at it, when he finally comes to the realization that he's going to have to do something here, uh, if, if, if it's a, if it's some kind of a plea bargain, which I can't, I can't think up, Maybe someone else can think of it up and I can't, but if it's a plea bargain or if he just sees the writing on the wall, at some point he's going to drop his campaign. And uh, some people speculate it'll happen just as this, if the trial actually happens, it'll be just around then. Most people think it'll happen before the voting begins in mid-January. I think it could happen before November. I think it could happen with these debates where he's not going to participate and DeSantis continues to get the ball rolling and head of steam. Uh, and then his internal polling will tell him the true story. And I think that might be when it all happens. But regardless of if and when it happens or when it happens, I, I don't think it's a matter of if, I think it's a matter of when. He won't take the blame. He will, as usual, be the victim. Trump is always the victim. And he'll be the victim again in this case. He'll blame everyone else, right? Everyone's against him. All these fake charges caused him to have to do this. They finally got their way. It'll always be someone else's fault. I'm not debating because they make me sign this loyalty pledge. And I'm not signing it. Therefore, they're preventing me from debating. It's funny, he loves that huge signature on everything, right? You know, that, that huge signature that he loves to show off, right? He shows it off when he signs a bill. Just put that huge signature on a loyalty plea. He won't do it. Loyalty oath, he won't do that. That's all he would have to do. But we know he doesn't want to debate anyway. So he's looking for any excuse other than I'm a pussy who's afraid of Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie so now he's got his excuse, right? They are making me sign this pledge and I won't do it, which I, I still don't understand. I don't get it. If he's 
so far ahead. If he's so far ahead, why not sign the loyalty pl- pledge? If he's so far ahead, just sign the loyalty pledge. He doesn't believe he can lose. He has said it a million times. It's over. So if it's over, why not just go through the pro forma of signing that loyalty pledge? I mean, you know you'll never have to worry about it. You'll never have to endorse someone else because it's going to be you. So, hey, buddy, if you're so sure you've won already, why not just do it? Because he's full of shit. That's the actual answer. Because he's full of shit, that's it. That's why he won't sign the loyalty pledge. Because he wants to use it as a reason not to debate and face Ron DeSantis and face Chris Christie. I mean, everything Trump does is a huge contradiction. Everything he does. All right. So far ahead. He's a big shot. He's not afraid of anybody, yet he won't debate them. He's so far ahead. Why not debate anyway if you're so far ahead? Right. Why not just really bury everyone? Because you're such a great debater, aren't you? So why don't you just really bury everybody? Right. I'm so far ahead, but I'm not going to sign a loyalty pledge because I don't want to have to endorse someone else. But you're so far ahead, you're not going to have to endorse anyone else. So why not just sign it? Everything is a contradiction with Donald Trump. Everything contradicts his narrative that he's got it in the bag. Right? Everything. So was a doth protest so much? The people with the, the smallest penises who get the least amount of sex often have to brag about all the sex they get, even though they make it up. Well, it's the same thing with Donald Trump, right? He knows he's losing, but he's got to say he's winning, right? He knows it's a lost cause, but he's got to say it's over and he's got it in the bag. If you are so far ahead, if you are so confident that you're going to win, you don't really have to say it all the time, right? You just know it. Hey, I know it. Everyone knows it. But... We know his game. We know his game. Uh, as far as Trump refusing to take the pledge, uh, DeSantis did did uh, respond to it. And his response was basically that you can't just take your ball and, and go home. All right. So DeSantis torched Trump for refusing to sign the uh, pledge to support the eventual nominee. While talking to reporters in Iowa, DeSantis blasted uh, former president for refusing to sign the required pledge to punch his ticket to the debate stage. DeSantis noted that he signed the pledge, officially qualifying for the debate by doing so, and jabbed at Trump for running in the GOP field but saying he may not support the eventual nominee. I mean, you can't, on the one hand, say the country's going in such a bad direction, which we all believe. And on the other hand, say you're just going to take your ball and go home, DeSantis said. Really? So, you know, I'm happy to do that. I have I voted Republican my whole life, he said. And, you know, even though, you know, I'm confident we'll be the nominee at the end of the day, you know, you respect the judgment of how this works out. And you don't take your ball and go home. It's not just about you. It's about a larger mission that we have to accomplish for Americans, he said. Uh, Fox News Digital reached out to Trump campaign for response, but he didn't uh, give one. The former president says he's refusing to sign a loyalty pledge, raising doubts about whether he'll be debating. 
Trump dismissed the idea of making the pledge interview with Newsmax on Wednesday, telling Alec Bowling the balance that the gesture would not be worth it. I wouldn't sign it, he said. Why would I sign a pledge if there are people on there that I wouldn't have? What does that even mean? I wouldn't have certain people, as you know, somebody that I endorse. So they want you to sign a pledge. I can name three or four people I wouldn't support. So right there, there's a problem right there. There's a problem. But once again, this is this is the same shit with Trump, where he expects one-way loyalty. He expects everyone to endorse him regardless, right? He expects people not even to run against him, to be so loyal as to just let him be anointed the, the nominee. Let him be anointed the nominee. Um, but he wants everyone else, right? He can't give the same loyalty back, right? If there are three or four people who don't want to endorse him, then they're awful, disloyal people, right, who must be destroyed. But he doesn't have to support three or four people. It's fine if there are three or four people he doesn't like. But three or four people don't want to endorse him. They're the most evil, scumbag people in the world. This is the one-way loyalty. The one-way loyalty that Donald Trump expects because he's a sociopath. It's obvious bullshit, right? It's obvious brazen horseshit to have one-way loyalty, to expect loyalty to come your way, but you don't give it back. But that's the way Trump has been his whole life, even in business. He expected people to kiss his ass, but he wouldn't kiss ass back. People have to be loyal and bow down to him, but he didn't have to do it back because he's king shit, and king shit doesn't have to give anybody anything. So his sociopathy goes way back, way back, 60s, 70s, 80s. When he was a business person in New York, who most business people in New York said was a total fucking scumbag for reasons like this. Because they look you in the face and they expect you to be loyal and honest to them, not stab them in the back. But they will stab you in the back and they can because they're a sociopathic prick. (laughs) And once again, the gaslighting a sociopath does, right? always claiming victimhood, like saying he wouldn't give uh, support to candidates who say nasty things about him. But he's allowed to say nasty things about everybody. Do you see the sickness of Donald Trump, the sociopathic cult leader sickness of Donald Trump, where he could say he has the nerve to say that he won't endorse people because they say nasty things about him when he's the nastiest son of a bitch in the world, this nasty son of a bitch thinks he can call other people nasty. Should we pull up his tweets for five, six years? Or all the nasty, slobbery fucking shit he said about people? All the, all the belligerent, fucking childish horseshit he said about people? Should we pull up five years of that? Like calling Chris Christie fat, when he himself is a fat slob when he himself is a fat slob as you see those awful those those white shirts he wears the white pants on the golf course that show his huge stomach and huge fat ass and he has the nerve to call someone else fat this guy's probably gained about 100 pounds since he won in 2016 the guy's probably gained 100 pounds in seven years he has the nerve to call someone else fat Hey, buddy, as you get older, you should lose some weight. It's dangerous to gain weight as you head towards 80 years old. Hmm. Oy, oy, oy.
So the judge bitch slaps him. DeSantis bitch slaps him. And what is Donald Trump doing as DeSantis is 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 um, busting his ass in Iowa and New Hampshire? Well, Trump is going to Iowa to to campaign, and he's bringing with him Florida politicians who endorse him. This is like unheard of. This is how pathetic he is. He can't get any endorsements in the early primary states. He can't get any endorsements out of Iowa and New Hampshire. So he brings Florida politicians with him. As though the people in Iowa and New Hampshire aren't going to be offended by him bringing politicians from another state with him when he's trying to get the votes of Iowans and New Hampshireans. In New Hampshire, it's ites, whatever the fuck they're called. That's what he's doing. He's, he's running around with a few cheeseball Florida politicians from Mar-a-Lago who support him when he's going to campaign in Iowa and New Hampshire while he bashes the Republican governors of Iowa and New Hampshire. And he's hanging out with the moron ex-mayor of Miami who shut everything down, one of the, one of the worst COVIDian mayors in the world. He's going around campaigning with him. This is his good buddy. After he, of course, falsely claimed that Ron DeSantis closed everything down, he's walking around with the mayor who was closing things down, and Ron DeSantis had to stop him from closing everything. Ron DeSantis had to block him from closing everything down. And this is who Trump is hanging out with. This is who is endorsing Trump, and Trump is uh, gladly welcoming his endorsement. You know, it's it's absolutely stunning. I say stunning, but I know he can get away with it because his cult doesn't care. His cult doesn't care. They're not very well-educated people. And if they are well-educated, they're so part of a cult I mean, there, there have been educated people. It happened here in the Bay Area, right, with Jim Jones. There were some very high IQ people who got into that cult, right? It doesn't matter what your educational level is. You could still be indoctrinated into a cult if you have a, a weakness in your character. Yeah, this is Miami-Dade County. There's so many my there's so many mayors in Southern Florida. It's, it's really hard to keep track. There's like Miami mayor. The Miami mayor is what's his name, right? Tony Montana, the guy who's doesn't like who's another 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 Trump ass licker who's running uh, for president. Supposedly doesn't really have a campaign. Okay, so Tony Montana, I think that's his name, is the mayor of of Miami. But now there's Miami Dade County. So the county, the city has a mayor. Please, then the county has a mayor. Does this make any sense to anybody? Miami Dade County Mayor Carlos Jimenez. Okay, Carlos Jimenez. Then there's the Miami Beach mayor. There's another moron. Gelb, what's his name? Gelbar? Gelber. Gelber. Right. So it was Carlos Jimenez, Miami-Dade County mayor, right? And Dan Gelber, the Miami Beach mayor. They had COVID lockdowns up the wazoo. They were the most fascist COVIDians around, especially in Florida. And Trump is campaigning with him tomorrow. He, this guy, Jimenez, issued lockdown orders that led to the arrests of four people on two separate occasions simply for walking on Miami Beach. 
Trump has falsely criticized DeSantis for closing the beaches tight, tight. He closed them tight. Trump endorsed Jimenez, by the way, for Congress. So here's Trump endorsing Jimenez. Jimenez endorses, returns the favor, endorses Trump. And he was a huge lockdown advocate who, along with Dan Gelber, Miami Beach mayor, arrested people, had people arrested for walking on the beach. I think we need to call him Lockdown Don. To me, that needs to trend. If you see it trending, you know it started here. Don't. There's always this bullshit on Twitter where some fuckwad with two million followers, you know, steals something someone like myself says and makes it look like they started it. But I think we're going to call him Lockdown Don. And if you ever see Lockdown Don trending, which it should, you know it started right here with me on Unless Be Heard. But we should call him Lockdown Don. Because that's what he was. He locked everything down. He gave the keys to the country to Fauci for the last year. He supported people like Dan Gelber and Carlos Jimenez, who in turn support him. No, Carlos Jimenez, I think Gelber's a Democrat. But yeah, he totally supported Dan Gelber, the Democrats' lockdowns on Miami Beach, and Carlos Jimenez's lockdowns, having people arrested, walking on the beach. He was locked down Don. Many quotes where he said, we have to lock down. I'm glad we locked down. So lockdown Don must be his name. That must trend. In fact, the DeSantis campaign should start using it. Lockdown Don. He must be defeated. San Francisco, let's talk about my city a little bit. San Francisco has the worst pandemic recovery in the nation as a city's mired in crime and homelessness. San Francisco, California, one of the country's most politically far left cities, ain't that an understatement, is showing the slowest post-COVID pandemic recovery of any major U.S. or Canadian city, according to newly published data. University of Toronto's School of Cities this week released its downtown recovery rankings which were based on the change in the level of foot traffic in dozens of North American cities from before the pandemic to afterwards. Specifically, researchers used mobile phone trajectory data to determine the number of visits to 62 downtown areas, comparing recent activity in the largest cities across the U.S. and Canada to pre-pandemic pandemic levels in 2019. According to the study, San Francisco ranked dead last in recovering from the COVID pandemic when downtowns around the world became unrecognizably quiet and lifeless due to downtown measures. Indeed, the far left California enclave this spring experienced only 32% of foot traffic seen during the spring of 2019. The number was identical when compared to the winter, December 22 through February 23 of the same period in 2019. The results came a little over two months after San Francisco launched a costly $6 million ad campaign in a bid to attract tourists and business travelers. One of the many efforts from the city, led by Democratic Mayor London Breed, to revitalize downtown. The city faced a wave of recent bad headlines uh, amid an ongoing crime wave, drug abuse epidemic, and homeless crisis. A high cost of living and layoffs in the tech industry were further saddling San Francisco 
which have been simultaneously weighing proposals to potentially dole out millions of dollars each to qualifying black residents as a way to make amends for slavery and racism. The city is facing a massive $708 million two-year budget deficit. Downtown San Francisco has been affected more than other parts of the city by these myriad factors. Vacancies in office buildings are currently at about 33%. More workers are staying home in a post-COVID world, and some smaller businesses have left with a pool of fewer customers. San Francisco has been a real problem child in terms of incomes and post-COVID downtown recovery. Susan Thompson, the San Jose-based real estate advisor who specializes in leased downtown locations, told the California Globe. A lot of companies that were in San Francisco now have offices either outside the city or offer remote work. For the ones who remain, there are fewer businesses there catering to them. They have to contend with crime. Employees don't feel safe, especially with the homeless problem in the city. Commutes are killing many because a large number of people drive or take public transport from neighboring cities or even in cities a county or two away. Other California cities fared bayer in the wake of the pandemic. Bakersfield and Fresno, for example, both grew above 100% recovery, according to University of Toronto data, ranking numbers two and three overall on the list. Only Salt Lake City, Utah, enjoyed a stronger recovery, seeing a 139% surge in downtown activity in spring 2023 compared to spring 2019. As for other California cities on this list, San Diego has seen almost full recovery, 88%. The others aren't doing as well, but aren't at the bottom either. Sacramento, 75, San Jose, 74, LA, 63, Oakland, about 50. Surprise, Oakland's at 50. The authors of the study note in their research brief that while researchers publicly measure downtown vitality with key indicators such as office vacancy rates, public transportation, ridership, and retail spending, their methodology to use mobile phone data containing user locations provides a new way to directly measure downtown activity patterns. Yeah, we've seen this where they, they do like cell phone activity, right? And pings, right? Ping, 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 it pings, I guess, off the towers. And they can tell how many people are out there, right? Uh, this is another story. I don't know if this is, let me, yes, this is a, uh, the doom loop talks. Yeah, it talks about the doom loop. Look, this guy, there's a guy in San Francisco, a former police officer named Joel Elworth. He, he does. He he gives tourists a firsthand look at the worst parts of San Francisco. That's actually very smart. Oh, I've seen this guy on Fox a lot. Yeah, Joel Elworth. And he, he gives a doom loop tour. Um, oh, God. Well, he doesn't do it. I see. Okay, let me correct this. He reacts to the city's doom loop tour, giving tourists a firsthand look at the worst parts of the California city. <laughs> uh, and, you know, tourists should have a firsthand look at, uh, at this stuff. They really should know what's going on, and they should go back home and tell their friends what's happened here. But this is not a shock. This is not a shock. We've, we saw this. This was like a you know, a car crash that you see in uh, in slow motion. And you know it's not going to turn out good. And it's almost like you're reporting on that car crash in real time, right? You're giving the play-by-play -play of that car crash in real time. And then when all the dust settles, you're not shocked at what happened. We saw this happening here. 
in San Francisco. We saw these draconian lockdowns and mandates and the remember the earliest lockdown, the latest removal of the lockdown measures, the earliest masking, the latest removal of the masking, the 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 earliest vaccine passports, the latest removal of the lockdown passports, all of this stuff has contributed on top of all the crime, on top of the homelessness and crime, which was already getting really bad before COVID hit and uh, has only gotten worse. So all these things together create this doom loop. Once again, all policies instituted by liberal Democrats who were duly elected by the people. I'm not going to talk about rigged voting. I don't think Republicans actually ever won anything here and probably ever will because the people like it here. Some people like being jerks. Some people like being jerks and like being surrounded by similar jerks who think like them. And that's the case here. So this was not a shock to anybody who lives in San Francisco, anyone I know who lives here. Not a shock at all. And it's only going to get worse. That's what a doom loop is, right? It's it's like that whole idea of uh, doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over and expecting a different outcome called insanity, right? That's the doom loop. It's the same loop over and over and over and over. And it takes you further, further into a black hole. And that's where we are here in San Francisco. Now, L.A., as I just read, is having a, a, a better recovery. But I talked about this in the past. I talked about the reasons why New York and now L.A. are doing better than cities like San Francisco as far as recovery. And a lot of it just has to do with with cachet, with money in the bank. These were the big tourist destinations, right? The West Coast big tourist destination is L.A., not San Francisco. The East Coast big tourist destination is New York. So these places had more cachet. They were able to take the the COVID mandate hit more than San Francisco. Now, still, these cities are struggling. And once again, if it was up to people running those cities, this recovery we're seeing would go away. It would totally go away. People like Barbara Farrar, Adam Schiff. This is written by this is this is from um, Kevin Kiley today, Kevin Kiley. And Kevin Kiley, the great congressman out of, uh, I believe, like East Sacramento area, West Sacramento, East Sacramento, right, right around Sacramento, um, the suburbs of Sacramento, Kevin Kiley. Uh, he wrote that there is now a, um, a lawsuit that's going to trial on October 16th. It's being led by Julie Hamill of Hamill Law and... Uh, Kevin's co-sponsoring the Free Speech Protection Act to create fines and punishment for government employees who engage in censorship. L.A. Public Health colluded with Adam Schiff's office to censor public criticism of its COVID mandates. That's one of several revelations in a lawsuit against the department by parents. As Public Health Director Barbara Farrar tried to bring back a mask mandate last year, a spokesman asked Twitter to remove harassment from anti-maskers. He said he was referred to Twitter's censors by 
Schiff's chief of staff, who he cc'd on the request. Meanwhile, Farrar was contradicted by LA's own hospitals about COVID numbers and exposed for relying on a mask study, in quotes, authored by her own daughter. When four medical experts at USC published an op-ed headlined, bringing back a mask mandate in LA County is unjustified, Farrar's office asked the opinion editor to remove the piece. A few days later, LA Public Health turned off public comments on its posts, so a parents group created an account to retweet Farrar's posts with a comment option. Farrar staff asked Twitter to suspend the account, and of course, Twitter uh, complied. This is pre-Musk. So, and David, uh, Human David Hamadi, Human David Hamadi, who was one of the great doctors during COVID, the good, the good doctors, the good doctors, um, links to the op-ed that they tried to illegally censor, okay? And once again, it was titled, Bringing Back a Mask Mandate in Los Angeles is Unjustified. Then he writes here, are the bios of the authors of the article, Federal and county governments tried to illegally censor, including uh, Dr. Klausner and Dr. Scott Balsitis and Dr. Niraj Sood. Um, and of course, they are well-established, well-established doctors, not just Twitter doctors. Uh, as one of the four authors of the op-ed published by Orange County Register, the LA Public Farrar and Schiff illegally tried to get taken down, I demand that Farrar and Schiff resign. I applaud Congressman Kiley for uh, shining, shining light on this. So this is more censorship, right? This is more censorship that we saw from politicians, right? Elected Schiff and not elected Farrar to try to censor real doctors, real experts who brought facts to the table when it came to mask mandates and other mandates that they knew, they didn't, not that they thought were useless and harmful, that they knew were useless and, and harmful, have turned out to be useless and harmful. Remember, this was written July of last year, right? July 27th of 2022, they wrote, they wrote this. Hamadi, Sood, Balsitis, and Klausner, the four doctors. They wrote this, bringing back a mass mandate in L.A. County is unjustified because she wanted to bring it back last summer, just as many of them want to bring it back again now, uh, 14 months later, 14 months after this article was written and censored. And if you read through it, you can go on Dr. Hamadi's Twitter and, and look at it or on USC Schaefer where it's also posted, healthpolicy.usc.edu. And uh, it basically, once again, talks about the mass mandates, they're, how, how they're not useful whatsoever, how they're destructive, how it's pointless to bring them back, with facts after fact. I mean, we're talking about, if you go through this article, it provides studies, charts, graphs, links, resources, everything. So, of course, that's why Farrar and Schiff, Shifty Schiff with those fucking eyes that freaked me the fuck out, wanted this stuff censored. If I, if I wrote, if Mike Shapley wrote something and I wrote, I hate mass mandates and here's the five reasons why, they wouldn't want that censored. They wouldn't care. But they wanted this censored because it was written by four real doctors, not quacks, 
real doctors, who provided evidence showing that Farrar was full of shit. Evidence that Farrar never showed to institute mandates, okay? Farrar never showed a tenth of the evidence that they put in this article to prove her mandates were necessary and effective. Nothing. She just said, we're doing it, and you got to do it, and that's it, and, you're, and it's illegal, we'll close you down, we'll close your restaurant down if you don't do it. That's it. You got to do it. Why? Because we're saying you got to do it. That's it. They never showed any evidence, any statistics proving it worked. You know why? Because they didn't have them. But these four doctors had them showing what bullshit it was. So, of course, Farrar wanted it censored. And Schiff wanted it censored. Now, that censorship, first of all, that censorship, I, I love that there's a civil case going on here. But as I've said before, these people need to be put in jail. This is criminal. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, viola it's First Amendment violations, which is a crime. That's a crime. When you violate the First Amendment, that's a crime. That's a crime. That's not a civil crime. It's a criminal crime. It's a crime. But not just that, but also all of the horrible effects it had, these, these, these censorship, because people only got one side of the story and they did things that didn't work, ended up hurting and killing people because they didn't get the full story. The adults didn't get the full story so they could make their own decisions. And, of course, they couldn't make their own decisions because they made these mandatory. They weren't optional. So you got your First Amendment violations. And, of course, you have all the destruction that was done, economic and physical destruction to people, and emotional and psychological destruction done by these mandates. So, once again, I love that there are civil cases. I think that's great. But that just needs to be a start. There need to be criminal charges filed against these people. Criminal charges. This is not communist China. There needs to be, there needs to be punishment for defying freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the First Amendment. We have the Constitution for a reason. It's not a suggestion. The First Amendment is not a suggestion. The Second Amendment is not a suggestion. If you don't like them, you leave, or you lobby to get the changes made, and there are caveat. There are there are ways to go about changing the Constitution. Of course, you're never going to change the First or Second Amendment or any major amendment. You're not going to. You could try. There are legal channels. There's legislative ways to go about it. Or that's going to be real difficult. The other option is to just fucking leave. Leave. Go to China where they agree with you. But I don't think they're going to feel the effect, the, the punishment. Who cares? Does Baba Farrar care if there's a civil case? Does Adam Schiff care if there's a civil case? What, what kind of punishment is there going to be for them personally? What's, what's Schiff's punishment? He's going to run for Senate, probably win in this fucking up, fucked up state. I'll say it till my head is bloodied. I don't care. They need to go to jail. And it's, it's one crime after another, right? As we get further away from 2020, 2021, we're seeing all these crimes that were committed, right? More and more is coming out. 
Every day, it seems, there's another, there's another story like this. And of course, part of the problem is built into the system where people like Barbara Farrar have this kind of power, where people like Adam Schiff have this kind of power. They should not be granted these kinds of powers. They shouldn't have these kinds of powers. But they do, obviously, because they use them and they abuse them during COVID. And they're still putting doctors on television, right? Who are talking about, oh, it's time to bring back mask mandate. Now, by the way, LA, this hasn't been mentioned, but as of earlier today, August 11th, Friday, August 11th, the mandate mandating um, that healthcare workers wear masks is now rescinded. So healthcare workers in healthcare settings don't have to wear masks anymore. This is being rescinded on August 11th, 2023. So how long has it been in effect in LA? Three and a half years? Yeah, about three and a half years. I wonder how long healthcare workers haven't been wearing masks in Florida, in Iowa, South Dakota, Texas, Georgia, Arizona. I guarantee you it wasn't three and a half years. And yet, three and a half years of this, and now there are people here that right away want to bring it back. They want to bring it. It just ended today, earlier today, and they want to bring it back already. Because they're emboldened to talk. I, I, that's, I keep on saying it. They should, they should be ashamed to talk. These people who have been talking bile and bullshit and propaganda for the last three and a half years should be ashamed to show their faces, but they're not. They go on CNN. They go on PBS. They go on MSNBC. They go on ABC proudly. And they still say the same shit. They're not embarrassed. They're not embarrassed to continue to harm people. They're not embarrassed to continue to harm society. God, if they were just in a jail cell. They wouldn't, it wouldn't be as interview, it wouldn't be as easy to interview them from a jail cell. Possible, but not as easy. They can scream all they want in jail as it echoes throughout the halls. I don't give a shit. They can scream and yell about masks all they want. But they go on television. They're emboldened. They they are not, what, what, what punishment has there been? Where are they? They're not even ashamed to not go on TV in August of 2023, you see? So there hasn't, people say, oh, I'll take an apology. Has there even been an apology? People say, okay, I'll admit they were, if they, if they, if they said they were wrong publicly, I'll take it. They are a far cry away from that because they're still going on and saying the same things they were saying in August of three years ago. So saying they're going to voluntarily do a mea culpa is, is fantasy land. They need to be forced to make a mea culpa. It needs to be forced. They're not just going to have a come to Jesus moment. It would have happened a long time ago. There'll be no come to Jesus moment. Not in 2023, not in 2025, not in 3050. They need to be forced to say they were wrong. 
It needs to be squeezed out of them. I remember those, what was those, those torture devices in the old medieval days where they put you on that gurney or something and they'd stretch you out. <laughs> what was that? They'd stretch you out until you finally said what needed to be said. So you finally gave in. Something like that. Something like that. If you read comments, a lot of these comments now are, you know, it's 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 heartening in a way because it it shows a lot of people aren't believing the bullshit anymore, right? Regular people are starting to ratio these jerks when they post something stupid about COVID coming back or hospitalizations coming back or mass needing to all any any kind of COVID propaganda, okay, does not have the same effect it had even a year ago, let alone three years ago. That's for sure. There's no doubt about that, but that's just like the natural progression of things. But these people won't shut up. So they're a long way away from saying they were wrong about anything. And if we allow them to keep saying this as though they were right, they will do it again in the future and their descendants this, the, the descendants, uh, the quacky descendants of quacks will continue to do it. And they'll do it in a future date with a future virus, a future quote unquote emergency, because they haven't been stopped. They have not been, it hasn't been recorded that we have punished these people and shown how wrong they were and made them admit to being wrong and, and punished them for their misdeeds. That's not, if it's not on record, if it's not in the history books, it'll, it'll be repeated. It'll be repeated. What else is there to talk about before the review? Let's see. We got, we got in Trump. We got in DeSantis. Uh, what else did we get in? Um, let's see. There's some guy. If I have it on, if I have the, I think I might have it on my phone. I like this. It was very simple. It's a very simple thing. It was just. A, it was. Yeah, here it is. It's a regular ordinary guy on a, on, a, on a little bike, like a motorbike, and he's in Iowa, and he's just, uh, hold on, let me cue this up. This is just really simple, but I think it's great, because it says how many of us, it says what many of us feel about, uh, about Ron DeSantis and why we support him, right? Now, this guy is in Iowa now, and he's talking about why he, uh, if I can get this to queue up, it doesn't want to. Doesn't want to work. You ever do that when you try to cue a video up and you hit pause and it just starts? Why is it doing that? Maybe I have it on that. Okay, here it is. Let's see here. I'm from Iowa and having a place in Florida, I learned to appreciate um, DeSantis during the uh, COVID outbreak because it was a whole different world in Florida and his policies were the most successful of any other governor in the country, I think. So that's real simple. There's a guy in Iowa and he spent some time in Florida and Bob, Bob from Iowa, John, sorry, John in Iowa. And he says, I just, I saw the difference. Yeah. I saw what it was like in Florida compared to the rest of the country. And I saw what DeSantis was doing and that he was doing the right thing when everyone else was doing the wrong thing. And now I support him for president. 
And I think that's the way a lot of us feel, right? A lot of us feel that way. When all the other governors were listening to Lockdown Don, when Lockdown Don was locking down the country and giving the keys to the country to Fauci and letting Fauci do whatever he wanted to do, ending with a Medal of Honor on the day he left office, Trump, um, DeSantis was saying no. DeSantis was taking in information, right? As, as 2020 went along, DeSantis was taking in information. And then he made different choices than everyone else did when they were just listening basically to, to lock down Don and following his lead. Um, and people appreciated that Ron DeSantis was a maverick in many ways. And as DeSantis has said many times, he took a lot of heat for going against the grain, for going against the popular method, which was lockdowns and masking and vaccine passports, he went the other way and he ended up being right. And that takes a lot of balls. It takes a lot of balls. When other Republican politicians who want to kiss Trump's ass, some of them running for office like Vivek Ramaswamy, um, want to say that Trump did not lose the election in 2020, Ron DeSantis is doing the right thing and the ballsy thing and saying, no, of course he lost the 2020 election. He lost it. He signed a bill as president, which allowed mail-in voting. And then he told everyone not to mail, not to, not to use it. He told the Republicans not to use it, while Democrats were using this system, which enhanced the voting, which made it easier to vote, that he signed. He then told his own voters not to do it, just to come out on election day. And that is a big reason why he lost. And so DeSantis is talking about this and uh, not having the right campaign and skill set to win. He lost. And it seems like a very simple thing. Yeah, he's not in the White House, so he lost. But to have someone running for president in the Republican Party, where so many of them still continue this ridiculous thought process that Trump actually won. Um, DeSantis is telling the truth and going against that if you if, if you poll most Republicans, they will say that it wasn't he didn't really lose. It wasn't fair. And DeSantis is going against that grain. So just like he did with COVID. So this takes real balls to be a maverick and to tell the truth and to tell it how it is. And that's what he's doing. And he continues to do it on all subjects. Right. He continues to do it on everything. Right. Even when it comes to things like uh Abortion, right, where you could say the, the, it's 50-50 across the country, and maybe the polls will tell you that most Americans, including Republicans, want 12 weeks or how many weeks, and he does the six weeks because that's what he believes, even though it might not be the popular prevailing thought, even in his own party, to do six weeks. That's what he does because he believes it's the right thing. He doesn't take a poll, doesn't see if more than 50% of the people agree with him. If he had done that during covid he would not have been correct. He would not have done the right thing. And he wouldn't even be able to run for president. So this is what happens when you do the right thing, when you follow your heart and mind, it really works out for you in the end, right? Even if it seems like it's hurting you in the short term, it'll help you in the long term when you do the right thing. And don't just follow the mob, right? 
Don't let the mob decide because look at what it got him. It got him to be able to run for president and have a really good chance to win. Right? That's what it did. And that was just incidental. He didn't know that was going to be the outcome. But that was what happened. I haven't talked about Chris. I'll talk about Chris Christie a little bit, then we'll get into the the film review. But, um, you know, Chris Christie is not the best looking person in the world, and he's very heavy. And I I kind of worry about him because while people like to say Trump has gained weight, but people like DeSantis, usually you run for president. Usually when someone's losing weight, they go, oh, that person's running for president, right? Because you have to. Because you have to for two reasons. One is very uh, physically uh, difficult to run for president. It takes a lot of out of you, right, physically. Trust me, I ran for Congress and it takes a lot out of you. So you want to be in the best shape possible while you're doing it. It's like a marathon, right? Um, Another reason is, you know, especially Americans, they kind of expect someone running for president to look a certain way. They don't really want them to look like. When's the last time someone who looked like a beached whale became president? Even Trump, when he won in 2016, as I said, probably weighed, you know, 100 pounds less than he does now. Much thinner than he is now. Um, so he should have lost weight, but he didn't. Um, and, uh, you know, he's very critical of Trump. He once was on Trump's side, but Chris Christie has seen what Trump has done and what he has become and what he is now, and now is very critical of him. Um, and, and Trump criticizes, of course, his weight, like any kind of a juvenile schoolyard bully. You go after the most they go after the most obvious thing What they're very good at. The sociopathic bully is really getting to someone's weakness and and sticking the needle in. And that's what Trump does, even though Trump, of course, claims everyone else is being nasty to him when he calls Chris Christie fat, when he says things like, oh, he's probably eating right now, you know, so. Of course, Trump is full of shit as always. But uh, so Chris Christie is is talking like Ron DeSantis, where, and he put out a tweet yesterday. He said, Trump's a big boy. Stop making excuses for him. He said he was going to build a big, beautiful wall. In four years, he got us 52 miles and not a single peso from Mexico. Congratulations. So saying the same things Ron DeSantis is saying, that the, the, the promises Trump made. The slogans that were promises that Trump made drain the swamp, build a wall, make America great again. He did none of it in four years. So no reason to give him another four. Already had four. And so, you know, Christie is not going to win this. He shouldn't. I would not want to see a president Christie. That's for sure. But he's right. He's right. And the only thing Trump can say in return is he's fat. That's it. That's Trump's response, which is why Trump can't debate. Uh, that dog don't hunt no more. That dog don't hunt no more. All right. There's a lot of other good stuff going on. We really should. Let's go to Iowa. Let's take a let's take a trip. Let's take a field trip to Iowa because everything is going on there. Everything. It's like you could hit a different restaurant every day and you'll see a candidate campaigning. In I think there are 99 counties in Florida, and I know Ron is hitting every single one of them. So it's like. Amazing. It's really, it's exciting to live in Iowa every four years. 
we don't, we don't want to live there in between every four years it's a, it's a pretty uh it's a pretty exciting place to uh to live you know uh let's go through this quickly i'm sure anything i've forgotten i'll i'll pick up on on uh, on monday but i think i think maybe we can okay what one final this this will be the final video i play and then i'll i think i think john williams and the boston pops are just about ready you setting up guys yeah, I know. I know. I, I know. I just wanted to play this one. I know you're a liberal Democrat. You don't like DeSantis or Trump. I get it. I get it. You're voting for Biden again? Biden? Ah, come on, man. All right. Anyway, but they're setting up. They're almost ready. And this is this, this is DeSantis on a ruthless podcast. And what it was like, as I was just talking about, bucking the system during, during COVID and, uh, and, and being proven right. So let me try to cue this up here. Okay, here we are. Is a huge separator between you and a lot of folks running is you decided you were not going to listen to what they were telling you to do. You were going to do what you thought was right and ended up being right. What was the toughest part of that? And who stood in the way of what you needed to get done in the federal government other than Fauci, who was causing problems for every American possible, no, look, I mean, you had to stand up to. So what was the uh, thing? It was uh, I literally when I bucked the establishment on this, I was public enemy number one in this country from the corporate press, from the left, even from people in my own party, including a Republican White House. To be frank, they did not want us doing this. They thought that I was jeopardizing their ability to carry Florida in 2020. So I got huge blowback for doing it. But look at the end. And a lot of my supporters were like, dude, you're getting killed with this. Like you need to just force someone to wear a mask or do something so you can say you're doing stuff. But at the end of the day, I think as a leader, you've got to make a decision. Why are you in this, this chair? And for me, I have got as a leader to care more about the jobs of the people that I represent than I do about protecting my own political hide. So we just had to do what's right. There you go. And doing what was right, instead of protecting his political hide, as he had, as he said, was not only the right thing, not only was he proven right, not only was it better for Florida, but once again, it's allowed him to be a major presidential candidate, which never would have happened if he had done what, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom did or, or Cuomo or Hochul or Trump, right? So good things come from doing the right thing. That's a good lesson, I think. And not following lockdown dawn, like so many other Democrats and even some Republican uh, governors did. All right, let's see. Everyone's quiet tonight. Why is it so quiet? Oh, outs no, that's only San Francisco. We have outside lands here. I can't imagine anything I want to do less than watch bands outside in the freezing cold weather here. And I, I don't get it. People do it every August. They come here. August is the coldest time of the year here in San Francisco, the foggiest time. And they come and they go outdoors right by the water. <laughs> and they do a Woodstock out there. But Woodstock was hot. It's fucking freezing here. I can't imagine having, imagine being in these huge crowds of people 
hungry. And then, of course, there are long lines to get a fucking corn dog or a hot dog. Then you have to go into those disgusting Porto sands if you want to go. To, imagine if you have to do number two. Oh, <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I'd want to do less and be surrounded. Especially the kind of people who go to outdoor land here in San Francisco. Imagine being surrounded by these people and you can't get out. You can't get out. It's like three days. But it's a big event here and it's happening. Uh, it's happening this weekend. All right. Hey, guys, are you ready? Are you ready? Now that I insulted your choice for president, are you ready to go? I'm sure. Okay, here we go. All right, so it's time for our Friday night film review. All right. Okay. Um, I think this opens in a week or two. I think I'm doing an early, am I doing an early review of this? Yeah. I did a, a preview of this film, so it's it's not opening this weekend. I think it's either next weekend. When is it? Oh, August 25th. Wow. Two weeks. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so look, it's very formulaic, this film. There's no doubt about it. And not everyone's going to like formulas, you know, but it's a Gran Turismo is the name of it. Gran Turismo. And it's kind of in the, you know, the, in the mold of Rocky or the Karate Kid, where Rocky was boxing and the Karate Kid was, you know, karate. This is car racing. And it, it's supposedly based on a true story. Once again, I'm not a, uh, a motorsport kind of person, so I didn't know about this story. But evidently there was some very fancy virtual reality kind of uh, video game. And it's kind of like what like pilots do, right? Or astronauts do when they're training, right? They do the simulations, right, of flying. So there's this really great simulation game where these young kids who loved, you know, car racing could do their, you know, instead of doing their homework, they could do their car racing. It was very expensive. It was like a, a big setup. You've probably seen these things too, in like arcades and stuff like the simulations, but this was like very high tech and this was developed. Okay. In Japan. Um, and they called it Gran Turismo. Right. And it was very popular and kids were getting into it. And there were a bunch of kids who were really good at it. Right. They were really good at this car racing simulator. So a, a, um, an executive, a PR guy, a marketing guy at Nissan said, why don't we, and he's played they, played by Orlando Bloom in the movie, said, why don't we find the best of the best, all right, and make them into actual professional racers, just the best of the best. And they all, you know, and they're able to get the data of the ones of the kids who have the best records, the best speeds, the, the most wins, who are the best at what they're doing on the simulators. And they send out invitations to them. And they do these competitions where the best, the winner of the competitions are invited to this academy where they will actually learn real car racing to hopefully become an actual professional. And of course, it sounded crazy to a lot of people. It's like, wait a minute. First of all, these kids are going to get killed. There's a big difference between being a video game and actually being on a real racetrack. But they wanted to do it. This guy had the vision of doing this. And he needed to find an engineer, like a chief engineer, who would help run the whole thing, who would help train these kids. And so he finds 
uh, a guy named Jack Salter, played by David Harbour, who is kind of a down and out racer. He he was a good racer in his in his time, but something happened. We don't learn until about halfway through the film what happened that took him out of the racing game. And right now he's working for like this uh, racing company uh, that has, um, you know, uh, a lot of money, but they're a bunch of pricks and their lead driver's a prick and he's trying to get out of it. He gets out of it and he decides reluctantly to take on Orlando Bloom, the character's name is Danny Moore, uh, to join him at this academy and to teach these kids, you know, how to, how to drive. Now, our, our, our lead underdog is uh, Jan Martinborough, and the actual kid's name is also Jan Martinborough. So it's based on this kid's story. Archie Medequi plays him, and he's this young kid who just loves this simulation game, has always loved this car racing, always wanted to be in it. Of course, his parents, um, his father was once a, a, a big, uh, played by Jaman Hansu, was a big soccer player, and he wants them to get into soccer like his other boy. But uh, Jan wants to be, you know, a car racer, which, of course, his father thinks is ridiculous. All he does is play this video game. It's pointless. He's going nowhere. So we see the beginnings of this underdog story, right? And so Jan ends up going, winning and going to the academy with 10 other, nine other people. And, uh, of course, Jan, you know, beats them all. And the film takes us through a series of events, series of trials and tribulations he has to go through in order to become a professional car racer. And one of them is uh, getting his uh, being licensed, right, um, by the industry. And he has to come in fourth in at least one of six competitions. So the first part of the film is the Academy. Second part of the film is, is, is Jan even qualifying to become a racer with a license. And the last part of the film has to do, obviously, with his professional races and I don't want to give it away, but it's a true story. You can look it up. Evidently, he actually did win a race at some point. And the guy is still racing, I believe. I think he's done over 200 races. So you have your basic underdog story, right? We have three underdogs here. Orlando Bloom, who plays Danny Moore, who's the Nissan executive, who has this vision. Everyone thinks he's crazy. Underdog, right? We have Jack Salter, played by David Harbour, this former racer. Something happened. He had to quit the business. Now he's down and out underdog right we have jan martinborough this young kid who wants to be this car racer who's only done it through these simulation games underdog no one believes in any of them and of course they will all come through just like rocky balboa came through just like uh, you know ralph macchio danielson came through and he will also so with all these kind of formulaic underdog movies the question always is does it make us care about the underdog right? Does it make us care? We know the formula. We know where it's going. Are we going to enjoy the ride on the way? Now, whenever I see these underdog formula movies, I, I never want to like them, right? And sometimes I don't. This one I did. And for se several reasons. One is the relationship between Jack Salter and Jan Maudenborough, between David Harbour and Archie, um, is, is, is really well developed. It's on the similar level not the same level as you know rocky and mickey right you have a fest alone there um you know that that relationship there in rocky the 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 mentor and the underdog and then again in the karate kid right mr miyagi and daniel the mentor and the underdog and here you have david harbour uh and archie the mentor and the underdog and 
also the mentor is also an underdog, which adds another element with a past, with a history that we come to learn about. But we actually care about these people. And that's to the credit of the of the film and the director, Neil Blomkamp. He makes us actually care about them and the chemistry between David Harbour and Archie Medecway is through the roof. They're great. And I think a big part of making these formulaic underdog stories work is the uh, the acting, right? And it's a very touching, well-developed relationship between Jack and Jan um, that really holds the film together. It prevents this car from falling apart, if you will, where it easily could have. If we didn't care about these characters, if we hadn't anything invested in them and what they're doing, if the acting wasn't as good as it is, and if the develop if the relationship between the two of them weren't as well developed. Jack, of course, is very tough on Jan at the beginning, doesn't believe the kid could actually do anything, really wants him to quit because it's very dangerous. And he comes to understand that this kid has some real talent, right? And begins to take him under his wing. And we as we learn more about Jack. We understand where he's coming from. And uh, the racing scenes are actually very well shot. Now, it's another thing when it comes to these underdog stories. Let's let's talk at Rocky, right? Let's talk to Karate Kid. Rocky, the boxing scenes were very well filmed. So it's exciting. We're into it. Rocky, the uh, Karate Kid, the, the karate scenes were very well done, as they continue to be in the television show. And we get into it. And in this, the racing scenes are very exciting. Once again, I'm not a racing fan whatsoever, but they're very well shot, incredibly well edited. The editing is fantastic. And the director does some interesting touches that make us understand the sport and follow it the way it's tough to follow when you're watching it on television. Like I said earlier, I've never able to tell what car is who, who is in the lead. The director does a great job, along with the editors and the cinematographer, of keeping everything in order where we actually can get into it, understand where Jan is in the race, understand if he's winning or losing, what he has to do, the things he has to do to win or lose the race, keeping it all together so we can follow it and really get into it and aren't distracted by what we don't understand about the sport. There's also some good CGI stuff that's mixed in there. But we actually care about these people. We shed a tear. Like I said, it's a movie that I didn't want to like, and a lot of people won't want to like it. But as you watch it, it gets you, and it works as a as a as a really solid sports underdog movie. Rudy, another one, right? All formula, all follow very similar arcs, but they work because we care about the characters, and they're well developed, and the acting is good, and the directing is good, well put together, well edited, fun film. So I recommend. I highly recommend, actually, uh, Gran Turismo. And it opens, I think, in two weeks. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, guys, do you want to play me? Play me out? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. That's another week of the show. Uh, I want to remind everyone, first of all, have a great weekend. Go out and do something fun, even if it's 
even if it's outside lands. Go out and have some fun, all right? But I will see you on Monday night. The name of the show is in Let's Be Heard. Airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern time. And so I'll see you on the other side of the weekend. But until then, this is Micah Chopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it!